With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. So you want your charity to succeed. It's no secret that combining online and offline techniques is the key to modern day fundraising success. And practical advice is what you need. The Nonprofit Coach with Ted Hart is the perfect place to learn from experts around the world who, along with our host, provide advice you can use. Ted Hart is without a doubt one of the foremost nonprofit thought leaders. Also a successful author, his books cover a broad range of topics from major gift fundraising to use of social media and how to succeed online. Ted lectures around the world, but now he's here for you. From the latest in charity news, technology, fundraising, and social networking, Ted and his guests help you maneuver through this economic downturn in the charitable sector to greater levels of efficiency and fundraising success. Remember, this is a live call-in show. Become part of the show by adding your voice. Call now at 347-324-3080. After the show, you can find all our podcasts at tedhart.com. Just click on radio links. Don't forget to dial 347-324-3080. Now, welcome the host of The Nonprofit Coach, Ted Hart. And welcome here back to The Nonprofit Coach. This is Tuesday, October 23rd, and I am coming to you live from New York City. And when our announcer says we have experts in the nonprofit sector, boy, do we. Page 1 and page 2, jam-packed with experts from the nonprofit sector. Uh, for those of you who are new to the nonprofit coach, as the announcer said, you can call in and add your voice by calling 347-324-3080 when we get to page two. You can also join us over in the chat room. I see a number of people over in the chat room. Uh, you can ask questions there, or you can email me your question at tedhart at tedhart.com. As always here on the nonprofit coach, we start with page one news. <laughs> Over here on page one news, as always, you can follow along with the radio links at tedhart.com. Click on radio links. Uh, first up here on the uh, Nonprofit Coach radio links today uh, is a good friend of this show and, wow, a big expert in the nonprofit sector. Uh, Beth Cantor is here live. Now, Beth has been on the show a few times, and uh, most recently uh, she was here on, uh, on the show and uh, moved right to the top of one of our lists. Uh, for favorite podcasts that you will find in our newsletter that just came out yesterday. And, of course, you can always register free for the newsletter uh, at tedhart.com. Have all your friends sign up. You will find the podcast for September 14, 2010, when Beth Cantor was our page two expert uh, and uh, was a very popular podcast. So we have shared that with you again uh, in yesterday's newsletter. Live here with us today is Beth Cantor. Welcome, Ted. Thanks for having hey. me. Yeah, well, great. Welcome to you. Great to have you back. Now, uh, I don't think you, you ever sleep, uh, but uh, you are 
uh, back in our radio links today. For those who are following along in the radio links, uh, they will find a link to your new book. Uh, so tell us all about this launch that's coming up. I think you've got an event in Washington, D.C. Yes, and as a matter of fact, I'm about to, uh, in just a few minutes, uh, hop on a plane um, to leave California and go to D.C., and we have a big old book party happening at um, AARP uh, Auditorium on October 25th at 6 p.m., and I'll be there with uh, my co-author, uh, Katie Payne, a uh, renowned corporate um, professional measurer. Um, I should add that the book is called Measuring the Network Nonprofit, and it's well, we kind do have of a, a link to we do have a link to Measuring the Network Nonprofit uh, over in the radio link uh, today. Uh, tell us uh, about the reason you felt this book was necessary. Okay, so um, you know this is the sequel to my first book, The Network Nonprofit, and as you know, Ted, I've been um, a trainer, master trainer literally training all over the world, um, nonprofits to embrace network ways of working and, and the Internet. And uh, one of the themes that kept on coming up was, you know, how do we measure this stuff? <laughs> and do we need someone who knows a regression analysis to do it? And um, the answer to that is, well, maybe, yeah, at some point, but there's lots of things that nonprofits can do to measure the, uh, the effectiveness of their uh, social media and actually improve what they're doing and get better results. And also, like, uh, understand what the value is as well. So the book is really a, sort of a how-to manual on how you can measure, learn from it, and improve what you're doing. And when you do need an expert to come in, also how to, how to best work with them. And, and uh, for, for this book, uh, and again, thank you very much for the invitation. I'm sorry I won't be able to uh, join you because I'll uh, be uh, traveling uh, the day of your, uh, your book event. Um, so, but the, so for you, the next step is learning how to uh, to measure all of this. Um, for small nonprofits, is it possible for them to learn to do this when they can't afford consultants? Absolutely, and that's one reason why I wrote the book because there are a lot of there. There's a very simple framework in the book that comes from my co-author called the Seven Steps of Measurement. And I actually tested uh, the, the, while we were writing the book. Um, my work at the Packard Foundation as visiting scholar, I had the opportunity to test. The ideas and the frameworks um, and the pro um, and the processes with 60 grantees. And some of them included uh, grantees that were organizations with one or two staff members. And so the, the you know the idea here is that you know if you don't have the resources or the time to measure the ocean and the world, don't do that. Boil it down to something really simple and concrete that you can measure. And they were able to put these steps into process. Um, also, the book offers lots of recommendations on where you can find experts. For example. There is a resource called the Analysis Exchange where you can actually get a corporate um, analytics geek to work with your organization for free. And, you know, and also I've been talking that, about... Uh, give us the name of that group again. It's, I'm sorry, it's called Analysis Exchange. It was founded by Eric Peterson. Okay. And there's also something called DataKind, which is matching data scientists with nonprofits. And okay. you, can, uh, you can find that, uh, you know, just Google DataKind. Okay. And of course, there's always. And what we'll do is we'll make sure that we get those links in the radio links uh, today, um, so that uh, so that folks will be able to uh, to access those. Uh, one of them is datakind.org, and I'm just looking quickly for analysis exchange. Do you think that might be web analytics demystified? Yes, that's Eric Peterson's group. He's a he's okay, a uh, measurement guru. Terrific. Well, we try to make sure that we give those. Uh, those links to folks, and so we appreciate you bringing that information uh, from your book. How can folks um, uh, join you in Washington, D.C. if they would like to? 
Um, uh, all they need to do is to um, uh, go up to the Eventbrite, and I can uh, give that um, URL out. It's netnonmeasureaarp.eventbrite.com. We'll also be live streaming it. Um, it'll be a conversation okay. uh, with the authors, and uh, Katja Anderson will be moderating it. Um, if they are joining us in person, the event's being sponsored by the, the Case Foundation, Care2, Network for Good, and with promotional support from uh, the RAG campaign, and we'll have wine and cheese and book talk. <laughs> Wonderful. Well, I'm, I'm very happy for you. Um, this uh, it sounds like another great addition uh, to the nonprofit sector, much needed. Um, I know that uh, you're, you're working with our, our producer to find a time to come on to page two to be able to delve into the book a lot more, and I hope that we'll be able to announce that date soon. Yes, we'll be delighted to do that. And thanks so much for allowing me to sort of parachute into your program. Absolutely. Well, you're welcome here anytime. Your work is always uh, top-notch and, uh, from my perspective, is a must-read for every serious nonprofit executive. So, uh, Beth Cantor, thank you for joining us again. Safe travels. Uh, Great. And I'm sure that you're going to have a, a quite a successful book launch in Washington, D.C. Great. Thanks so much, Ted. Have a great show. <laughs> You bet. Take care. Uh, we're back here on uh, page one of the Nonprofit Coach. You'll find over in the radio links uh, today uh, a couple of links that I want to draw your attention to. One in, in particular um, is just uh, really nice to see. Huffington Post um, is, uh, is promoting the book Everyday Heroes, 50 Americans Changing the World One Nonprofit at a Time. Uh, really a, a terrific um, uh, a book here. Um, that uh, you can go and check out on the Huffington Post. It's called One Person Can Really Make a Difference. So check that out over in the radio links at tedhart.com. Uh, you'll also find, um, as, uh, as noted last week, we will not have a live Nonprofit Coach radio show on November 6th. That is Election Day here in the United States. We want to encourage all of our listeners uh, to get out and vote, and that's also a good day to catch up on your popular podcast like of Cancer's uh, podcast. Um, and so today in the radio links, we're also providing to you, coming to us from the Chronicle of Philanthropy, a side-by-side analysis of the two major presidential candidates and how they stand on important matters facing the nonprofit sector. Uh, and I think if you take the time to read this and you're serious about supporting the nonprofit sector, it does appear to me that uh, one candidate uh, certainly is far superior on the topics related to supporting the infrastructure uh, and the necessity of the nonprofit sector to our society and our culture. I'll let you come to your own conclusion. certainly hope it will be the right one. The Chronicle of Philanthropy has that for you over at tedhart.com. Click on radio links. Next up here on the Nonprofit Coach, another good friend. Uh, every month we uh, welcome here to the Nonprofit Coach GuideStar. GuideStar.org is starting the GuideStar Minute. And here today is Lindsay Nichols from GuideStar uh, here to kick off uh, this new series. So uh, our listeners, our regular listeners, are familiar with the fact that each month we have uh, the CFRE Minute, and we have a representative from CFRE.org here on the show to bring us up to date on what's happening and how you can best use uh, the resources of CFRE.org. That's the idea behind the new GuideStar.org uh, Minute. So welcome here to the Nonprofit Coach, Lindsay Nichols. Hi, Ted. Thanks so much. 
Hey, Lindsay, well, you know, we've been big fans here on the Nonprofit Coach for a very long time of GuideStars. You know, we encourage all of our listeners to understand in the six pillars of success for nonprofit organizations online, number one is a well-designed website. Number two is a complete GuideStar strategy. So you rank right up there, uh, but I'm going to uh, leave this time for you, and you'll be back with us each month, so we'll get a chance to uh, review that a little bit more and make sure that all of our listeners understand the importance of GuideStar. But this is your minute uh, here on the show. What's going on? Love it. Well, first, thank you so much for saying that. We are huge fans of Ted Hart and your show, so that's wonderful. Thank you. Um, So I just wanted to talk about three things really quickly. First, to let you all know that Jacob Harold is officially on board as our new CEO, so we're really excited. He came to us from the Hewlett Foundation, and he officially started on October 15th. So this is really marking a new chapter for GuideStar. Um, We're really excited to kind of turn the page and get going on our, our next, um, adventure at GuideStar and we're asking everybody to connect with us and to connect with Jacob. He's on Twitter at Jacob C. Harold, and I know he'd love to hear from everybody. So that's kind of the first piece of great news. Secondly... That's and, I, and I have uh, scheduled time to sit down with, uh, with him uh, next yes. month. I'm really looking forward to that, so thank you for helping me with that. Part. Absolutely, and he's he's thrilled to talk to you. I, I, his real focus is going to be on collaboration and partnership across the sector, so this is, you know, what you do is perfect uh, in line with what we can do to kind of help and strengthen the sector worldwide, so we're we're excited to do that. And to that end, we've actually um, just published a new guidebook for nonprofits called More Money for More Good. So that's really a labor of love from both GuideStar and Hope Consulting and explores the findings of the Money for Good study. So that study found that while most donors don't do any research before they donate, almost all care very deeply about impact. They want to know that their money is going to the best nonprofits. So we kind of did a deep dive and figured out what can nonprofits do to build trust and engage with donors using this research as our kind of backdrop. So that's available to download for free. It's at guidestar.org slash money for good. It talks about the five things. And, that, uh, Lindsay, let me just jump in. We do have a link over in the radio links uh, today to guidestar.org. Uh, so anyone you. who you know, does, doesn't quite remember that, they can just go to the radio links and follow that to the book. Go ahead. Excellent. Thank you. And on the bottom of that homepage, there's actually a a link to this Money for Good page, so that's perfect. Um, So just, you know, it explores the GuideStar Exchange, which, Ted, you always talk about, and we love that so much. It really is kind of the model and transparency. It talks about charting impact. It talks about the five things donors care about most, and we really dive into that and say what can nonprofits whether they're small, whether they're huge, whether they have a ton of funding or no funding, what can they do today to bring more donors in? So we're hoping that people go um, check that out now. It's free and available to download today. Well, that's uh, that's terrific. It was a great minute. What I do want to do is take a little bit more time with you just because we do talk about it so often and the necessity, we believe, for all nonprofits to receive the GuideStar Exchange Seal of Approval. Um, can you just take a little bit of time to share with our listeners what that is, and when they go to GuideStar.org, how might they start that process? Absolutely. I'd love to do it. So the GuideStar Exchange Program is really an opportunity for nonprofits to give GuideStar more stuff about them. It's the way for nonprofits to kind of paint their full picture for donors, for funders. We have a ton of people coming to our site. We're projected to have 10 million people coming to our site this year, and that's just a host of people. We really think, you know, transparency is kind of the baseline. Nonprofits have to talk about what they're doing, and that can be very um, 
you know, easy. It can be these are our three programs and here's how we're going to reach those programs or um, meet our mission, or it could be very complicated. Here's all of our financials. Here's more um, a financial statement. It could be as much or as little as you want to give us. If you give us everything we, requ- we require, we give you in turn the GuideStar Exchange seal, and that is really a symbol of transparency in the sector. So if you get that seal, you can put that on your website, you can put that in your print materials. We have a host of um, widgets and materials to let you do that and so that people can see immediately you are as transparent as any nonprofit can be. And it's really the only program of its kind like that in the sector. It's completely free. If you go to guidestar.org on the top kind of middle of those sites, it says update nonprofit report. You just click that and it takes you step by step through the GuideStar Exchange program. And of course, if anybody wants to chat with me, I'm happy to give them more detail. But I I appreciate getting the opportunity to talk about it. It's a really important program. It it really is. And I can't thank you enough for uh, starting the GuideStar Minute here on the Nonprofit Coach. We want all of our listeners to know uh, that Lindsay or a representative from GuideStar will be with us every single month so that we will keep you uh, up to date and um, give you the opportunity to be reminded uh, the importance of GuideStar in our sector, the importance to your success online, why transparency is important. So, again, Lindsay Nichols from GuideStar, thank you for joining us and kicking off uh, this new monthly series, the GuideStar Minute. We're thrilled. Thank you, Ted. You bet. We're back here on uh, on page one uh, news, um, just following along in the radio links today. We just want to draw your attention uh, to our newsletter at tedhart.com. You can sign up for our newsletter, and you will find uh, the reminder that we do host the People to People Fundraising LinkedIn group. Uh, that group continues to grow, and we are fast approaching 2,000 members in that LinkedIn group. Uh, as of the posting of yesterday's newsletter, we had 1,993 members uh, in the LinkedIn People to People Fundraising LinkedIn group. Uh, so follow the link through the newsletter uh, so that you can go directly or just go to LinkedIn.com and, and uh, search for the group of people to people fundraising. And perhaps you will be our 2,000th member. And I'm hoping uh, that uh, by the time uh, we get to uh, our show uh, uh, next week, uh, which is uh, our October 30th show, we may in fact be announcing the name of our 2,000th member in the People to People fundraising group that we host over at LinkedIn. With that, that is uh, page one uh, today, which means that it is now time to move on over to page two. It is my pleasure today to welcome two eminent experts in the nonprofit sector, David LaGreca and Nicole Sebastian are here with us from DCG Governance Matters. This is a New York-based uh, organization that are considered some of the foremost experts in board development um, and working with nonprofit executives. Uh, David, uh, who is one of our guests today, has extensive experience in working with corporations and nonprofit executives in areas as diverse as performance coaching, and refining business operations. Over the past five years, he has served as interim executive director uh, for five nonprofit organizations, so he's always in high demand. He recently completed a $30 million merger of two social service uh, agencies in Manhattan and the dissolution of a long-established workforce program. Uh, He is the board chair of Jobs First NYC, 
an intermediary organization focused on out-of-school, out-of-work young adults. Before joining VCG Governance Matters in 1991, uh, David was the administrator for the Department of Surgery at Memorial Sloan Kettering Cancer Center. Now, Nicole Sebastian works with David over at VCG Governance Matters, a nonprofit organization whose mission uh, focuses on strengthening nonprofit organizations by improving the governing and management ability of their boards of directors, and Nicole currently serves as Deputy Executive Director. Uh, welcome here to the Nonprofit Coach, David and Nicole. Ah, thank you, Ted. Good to be with you. Yes, thanks it for having great. us, Ted. Absolutely. Well, it's great to have you both here on the show. I mean, there, there are so many topics to face in the nonprofit sector that are of keen interest uh, to all nonprofit executives and board members. Uh, few of them uh, have as much of an emotional uh, connection uh, as does governance matters. So uh, you folks uh, certainly deal with things that matter a lot to almost everyone in the nonprofit sector. So what I'd like to do is start off, and you folks can decide who goes first and, and uh, who answers uh, the initial questions here. But let's start off with, first of all, what is VCG Governance Matters? Uh, Ted, I'll take that part. Uh, we are a 45-year-old nonprofit organization uh, spun out of the Harvard Business School Club of New York City in the early, uh, in the mid-60s. Our focus is totally on nonprofit governance, and we basically do three things. We match potential board candidates with nonprofit boards in need of their expertise and service. We do consulting to nonprofit boards, helping them to function more efficiently and effectively. And we operate a, uh, an, ed an ongoing education program for people already sitting in nonprofit boardrooms where we have monthly workshops in the metro area here in New York City. Finally, we also uh, run an online website called boardnetusa.org. Uh, it is match.com for nonprofit boards. And no matter where you are in the United States, it's a free service that allows you to put your needs in front of some 50,000 people who have raised their hand and said, I'm interested in serving on a nonprofit board. And that's such an important service, as you heard in the page one. We have uh, our new GuideStar minute each uh, month. We will have uh, from someone from GuideStar coming in to share us the latest, the greatest at GuideStar. Um, I share that information in all of my lectures, and I always make sure uh, that I share information about BoardNet USA uh, because particularly smaller um, and medium-sized nonprofits uh, who can't access uh, consultants don't really know where to go. So um, besides uh, BoardNet USA, which is a terrific um, site, I'm wondering if you can tell us a little bit more about that. How do uh, potential board members find their way into uh, that site and what do you do to uh, help improve the quality of, of uh, potential board members? Uh, a couple of things, and then Nicole, jump in. Uh, there are any, no matter where you are in the United States, there are any number of uh, ways to find a board that needs you or to find board members. Uh, they range from your local uh, community foundation, many United Ways across the country, many junior leagues across the country, 
And in almost every major urban area, there is some organization whose specialty is in working together uh, with the nonprofit sector to increase the flow of the business community into nonprofit boardrooms. Um, online, you can find our services at boardnetusa.org. Uh, there's a brand new initiative that was launched about four or five weeks ago in Chicago that I wanted to share with your uh, radio audience. Um, LinkedIn has announced the beta, the testing of a beta version of their Talent Finder software. It is a free product being distributed to nonprofits who sign up at LinkedIn.com. Uh, search on Board Connect, and you'll see the free product. There's also a new group on LinkedIn called Board Connect, which people should be aware of. Uh, LinkedIn is trying to adapt their uh, Talent Finder uh, software to allow boards to find uh, board candidates with particular skills, experiences, and expertise that match the business they're in. It's a great new project being done in collaboration with the Taproot Foundation uh, nationwide, and we're happy to be helping and uh, helping them reach out and test the product. I encourage everybody to sign up for that uh, you, uh, free you software. That, yeah, do you anticipate that that might uh, take the place of working at USA at some point? Uh, actually, it's interesting. Uh, you know, uh, we've had this strategy conversation among our board. We're in the board governance business. We got into BoardNet USA at a point where nobody was looking at uh, the issues of joining boards and uh, candidates online. We actually started the planning for BoardNet in 1997, and we launched in 2001. What's intriguing to me is that LinkedIn is using a push strategy, which I think is a pretty good strategy for them to be using, where the organization is reaching out directly to potential uh, board candidates to see if they're interested in initiating a conversation. Um, it does not allow uh, for candidates it, let me put it this way. It doesn't yet allow for candidates to raise their hand and say, I am interested in board service. So I am hoping as the product develops, it may be BoardNet USA Generation 2. It may be complementary to our uh, offering online. And it. the fact of the matter is, Ted, there are 1.8 million board seats that open up every year around the country. There is vast need and not enough demand to meet the need. So anybody's effort in this field, in any collaboration in this field, is worth uh, our sharing the information about. And I think that's a, it's a wonderful message to uh, uh, to bring to our listeners today. Is that you know there isn't just one source. Uh, but it's important to understand that you're also not alone uh, in trying to identify uh, good board members. Yeah. Um, Nicole, um, specifically on um, on this issue of recruiting uh, board members, this is an expertise that you folks have. 
what are some of the ways that be beyond the online BoardNet USA um, that VCG has built um, this expertise? Uh, well, we have a lot of uh, partners in the field, and, and we liken ourselves to sitting atop a three-legged stool. Uh, one leg uh, serves as the nonprofit organizations who are the direct recipients of our services. Another leg are the foundations who partner with us and subsidize a lot of the work. Um, to one of your earlier points, that sometimes nonprofits have difficulty um, finding the financial ability to um, to pay for these services. And then the third leg of the stool are the corporations who partner with us. Uh, we conduct a lot of trainings uh, to senior level executives at financial institutions, at professional services firms. Um, and a lot of these folks are people who are thinking about serving on a nonprofit board for the first time, uh, thinking about their civic engagement trajectory. And so once we train people and, and open the doors and have them start thinking about the possibility of serving on a board as one way in which to um, involve their, their volunteer time, their, their charitable contributions, philanthropic engagements, et cetera, um, if they're interested in learning more, we then spend time getting to know them, understanding what sort of mission areas are of interest. But we go beyond that. We take a look at um, their geographical pro uh, preferences. Do they prefer something that's located near their, near their work versus near their home? Uh, what is the organization's life stage? Um, is the organization uh, going through aggressive growth? Is it in turnaround mode? There are a lot of different ways in which um, we tell nonprofit board candidates that they can utilize and leverage their skills and, and areas of professional expertise. And then not to be dismissed is the importance of uh, a good chemistry fit. So we take a look at um, both the nonprofit candidates as well as having a deep understanding of what's happening in those nonprofit boardrooms and look to make appropriate introductions. Uh, those are those are very uh, very good points. What I want to also share is just as a follow up to what David was uh, was saying, Nicole. If I could just for one second, the direct link online that folks are looking for is nonprofits with an S. dot LinkedIn. dot com, and just a program notes. Uh, for everyone that LinkedIn board member connect for nonprofits, we'll have a webcast on Thursday, November 8th at 1 p.m. Eastern, that's 10 a.m. Uh, Pacific, uh, for anyone who would like to learn how they can use uh, this particular service. So, David, again, thank you uh, very much for, um, uh, for bringing attention to that. And what they say is anyone who attends a webcast will be given free access to a Talent Finder account. That's a $1,000 annual value, uh, as well as exclusive access to the LinkedIn Board Member Connect group. So uh, definitely worth, uh, I think, everyone taking a look at that and, and participating if they possibly can. Uh, so uh, back to uh, BCG and, uh, and the work that you folks do. Now, David, you had mentioned that you have lots of seminars in, uh, that you do in the New York City area. Uh, New York City, of course, being the, the, the home and hub of, uh, of uh, so many nonprofit organizations. And really, when you look at um, where nonprofits uh, are across the country, the greatest concentration of uh, nonprofit organizations is along the east, uh, along the east coast. Not to say the rest of the country doesn't matter, but uh, what what are the nature of these uh, seminars that you do? Uh, we do a we do monthly seminars on the first Thursday of the month. 
topics range from um, uh, they're usually panel sessions, Ted, and the topics range from utilizing and integrating uh, younger board members into a board where you have people who are my age, and we'll leave it at that, and they're looking for younger uh, board members. Uh, we look at next month our topic is on managing uh the human resource assets of uh, an organization and what is the board's role in helping to do that and what is not the board's role. We, uh, If it's a topic of conversation among board members, we've presented on those topics and we have a volunteer committee that helps us put them uh, on every month. And we have some of the best speakers uh, in New York City who join us for a couple of hours of rather exciting conversation often. Uh, we're, uh, we recently had one on uh, managing risk for an organization. Uh, we have an upcoming one in September, in December, that we're co-hosting with the Association of Fundraising Professional chapter here in New York City on uh, the board role in fundraising. We, uh, we're we always looking for, uh, as you are, we're always looking for different topics to present to our constituency of board members here in New York City. I think the most interesting of the topics that we're seeing right now, Ted, in our uh, both in requests from organizations for our assistance, but also across the board, is we're approaching a leadership transition, not only in the executive director CEO suites of the nonprofit sector, but also in the boardroom. Uh, Nicole mentioned a few minutes ago, something about uh, a civic career. 20 or 30 years ago, you looked around the corporate community in any, uh, the business community in any city or town, and you saw people who, in virtue of their jobs, assumed civic roles in supporting activities within the community. We kind of fell out of that, and the need for board members particularly in the 30-something and early 40-something-year-old populations, is very great. Boards do not exist by divine right. They exist because board members continue to bring new blood to the boardroom. And so one of the biggest... They are the reason why, uh, or the, the basis of, of why uh, nonprofit organizations exist in the first place. It's, a, it's possible to have a nonprofit organization without a staff, but it's not possible to have an organization uh, without a board. That's right. Yeah. Yep. And uh, in addition to their own transition of leadership, as you know well, uh, we're also facing that leadership transition, and boards often come to us and say, we have to hire and nobody, we have to hire a new executive director, CEO, and no one on our board has ever done this in the nonprofit sector. Can you help us? 
Uh, and that has becoming a major generational shift in leadership in the sector. And that is an issue that's of burning interest to most nonprofit boards because we're all facing those issues. I, I think that's that's uh, 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 such an important thing that you're raising. That I don't think that most in the nonprofit sector are, are really um, focused on. I mean, we if from board to board to board, of course, there there is a, a focus on how do we build this board and how do we sustain this board. But as a sector, what are we doing with? Uh, I mean, would you say that that we're heading towards um, some sort of crisis in in leadership and just the accessibility to leadership? I don't know if it's a crisis as much as what we're seeing is, you know, the traditional trajectory 30 years ago was really good program people stepping up into administrative roles, stepping up into nonprofit uh, ED CEO roles. And, you know, if you were running a uh, you know, a small organization that was a million or two million dollars and there were seven or eight people on staff, um, you looked around the room and you thought, oh, so-and-so could probably take this over. Right now we're seeing two things. We're seeing boards unprepared to do board searches because they've never had an honest conversation about succession. We're also seeing... Uh, individuals who in the past would have been candidates for ED's job saying, it has become such a difficult job in this economy over the last X number of years, you can choose the number you want in that statement, that I'm, I enjoy what I'm doing and I don't want to step up to that role. Uh, and that is of concern to a lot of foundation people and those of us who care about the sector that there are not people who seem willing to step up to. And in an urban center like New York City, you have, you know, there is EDs. We have new EDs in New York City who took on $30 million agencies as their first CEO job. And those are difficult assignments, and you really have to be dedicated to the program area that you're in to even consider taking that upon yourself. And so there's this double-barrel thing going on where the boards aren't ready to do the searches, and the candidate pool that we traditionally had in the nonprofit sector uh seems to you know uh be shrinking because it has become in this economy a very difficult job to manage financially a nonprofit Nicole what are you where are you on that issue because you and I haven't really talked about this to the length I've just <laughs> right presented. so let's just talk about it in public yeah. <laughs> sure yeah, go ahead. um I'm taking I'm taking notes, and I actually have two points that I want to make. One about leadership, and then one about going back to uh, board oversight. Um, and and something that I'm finding really interesting in terms of trends out there is that you're seeing the up and coming uh, generation who will be assuming those leadership roles at nonprofits uh, 
many of whom are coming um, out of uh, the corporate sector, many of whom have professional degrees like MBAs um, with a with a focus on social enterprise, let's say, or JDs. Um, I, I'm seeing a lot more cross-pollination and transferability of skills and perspective, and it goes both ways. There, there are a lot of people who wear those hybrid hats, myself included, who have moved um, seamlessly from one sector to another, and there, seems to, there seem to be more bridges being built. Um, what we're seeing, uh, back to David's point about leadership transition and, and the demographics of who's currently at the helm of nonprofits, we're going to see a big shift um, in leadership in the next five to eight years um, as, as folks start to retire. And it'll be a very interesting time to see what happens with that next generation of leadership and the, the, the hats that these, that these individuals are going to be wearing. Are they going to be looking for efficiencies, economies of scale? Are they going to be approaching the business of running uh, a nonprofit much like running of another, another operation? Um, so that's, that's just uh, one leadership observation that we're seeing. And going back to... And, and is, uh, it your feeling, is it your feeling that uh, there, there's really little knowledge of how you maneuver through all of this? in even some of the, the more senior board leadership roles? It's an interesting question. I think that a lot of boards are coming to us for education and for coaching, realizing and recognizing that they don't know what they don't know, uh, and seeing that um, it's important to understand the differences. There are a lot of similarities, and I've spent um, a significant amount of time in governance on both the nonprofit and the corporate sectors, and there is a degree to which governance is governance, and there's a lot of transferability there, and Ted, you and I have talked about that as well. Uh, but there are some very distinct differences, and boards really are starting to understand that the, there, is, there is legal and fiduciary oversight responsibilities, and this is a very serious job, and they really need to understand fund accounting, for example, or how to really assess an organization's financial health, um, taking a look at balance sheets in a, in a very different way with the triple bottom line, um, that there are elements of education that are required to provide effective oversight. We're going to take a, uh, a quick break here on the Nonprofit Coach. When we come back, what I'd like to ask the two of you uh, to focus on is a big topic that most organizations uh, face, and that is what is an ideal size of a board of directors, and how do you train uh, for uh, succession uh, on the uh, on the board of directors? And we'll be uh, right back here on the nonprofit coach. Get out your uh, pencils and calendars. Um, what we want to do is go over the schedule between now and the end of the year here on the Nonprofit Coach. Next week here on uh, the Nonprofit Coach, no October 30th, uh, Amy Eisenstein will be back here. She is always a favorite here on the Nonprofit Coach, and she's going to be talking about major gift campaigns. Uh, big day here on the Nonprofit Coach uh, is November 13th. Now, keep in mind, November 6th, we do not have a live show. It's a great day to catch up on podcasts. We'll be back live on the Nonprofit Coach November 13th with our international giving uh, show. So make sure that you uh, you connect with that on how you can connect with fundraising 
uh, from international sources and uh, giving internationally. Uh, also, November 20th, uh, Robert Penna will be here with the Outcomes Toolbox, and you've heard others here on the show. We know uh, Robert Penna over the last few weeks who are very excited uh, to be able to tune in themselves for that show. Uh, November is typically National Philanthropy Day month. Uh, we'll be celebrating National Philanthropy Day here on November 27th uh, with Youth and the Future of Philanthropy as our topic and the two youth winners of the national, uh, international uh, AFP award given out in Vancouver earlier this month will be our guests here on that show. Starting in December, we'll be on December 4th with Steve Hafner talking about planning to get corporate matching gift funds for your organization. And, of course, we always wrap up here on the Nonprofit Codes with our holiday show. We wrap up each year with Kay Sprinkle Grace. Kay Sprinkle Grace will be talking about how to make 2013 very successful and strategic. She will be our guest here on the Nonprofit Coach on December 18th as we then start our holiday hiatus uh, that will take us into um, the uh, third week of January when the Nonprofit Coach Show will return from the holidays. We're going to head back over to the live show. Remember, our podcasts and archives are always available 24 hours a day at tedhart.com. Click on radio links. If you're listening live today, the phone lines are open. Call in and ask a question by dialing 347-324-3080. Now, back to the Nonprofit Coach with Ted Hart. And you're back here live on the Nonprofit Coach. We have David LaGreca and Nicole Sebastian, uh, National Experts in Governance Matters. Uh, they're with the group BCG Governance Matters, headquartered in New York City. Uh, they are here to help you learn how to make your board more successful. Uh, to this question on the uh, the optimum size of a board and how you train or prepare for succession, uh, can the two of you help us uh, sort through those issues? Um, I'll start with that one uh, and then uh, um, hand it over to Nicole. Uh, the first question about size we get, it's probably the first question we get out of almost every uh, potential client or in every you know, cocktail discussion we have about uh, our work. Um, we have a bias that a board of directors is a brain trust that is shaped by the business that you're in. So my usual answer when a client says to me, what's the optimal board size for my, our board is, it depends. Uh, if you're well, a, you know, answers like that drive people crazy. So I know they do. The, so now what, I'm going to make it more concrete. What are the variables uh, for it depends? How, how do you work through that? Yeah, uh, it depends on uh, the kind of program you have, the kind of uh, fundraising and capital structure you have. It depends on what you're doing with about a two year horizon and let me give you a very concrete example one of my clients is renovating a 100 year old social service building in new york city i don't know uh if you're you've ever tried to renovate a major building in new york city but if you don't have somebody on your board of directors who understands what reconstruction is like in an urban center 
as a CEO of a nonprofit social service agency, your expertise is not in construction. You really need somebody like that on your board. Will you need them for 20 years? Probably not. So depending on if the focus of your board for the next two years is learning to measure the impact of programming, you need to go out and find a few experts for your board to join the board with the sole purpose of giving you the information, expertise, and experience you need in measuring impact. Most smaller organizations can get by with approximately, I would say, 7 to 15 board members. In most states, you are only required to have three uh, legally, that is uh, the legal minimum to incorporate uh, in most states to set up a nonprofit corporation. There are no mandates from the IRS as to the size of the board. Uh, if you are a big, complicated organization doing big, complicated things, you need a slightly larger board than if you're a small dance company or a community theater group. And all of those things depend on what business you're in and how you go about paying for and supporting the business activities that you have. So we're, you know, as kind of uh, MBAs and MPAs, we're kind of an odd, we take an odd view that is skill-based of the board that you need. And, uh, you know, if you're a, uh, I had a board, I had a client once that had a board of 186 people. My reaction was, I grew up in board, New England. 186 people on the board of directors? How, how do you On the board that? of directors. I said to that particular group, I grew up in New England. We call that a town meeting in New England. That's not a board of directors. I don't know how you have a board of directors that functions with that many people. Some organizations uh, for have much, much smaller uh, boards of directors, but... I think it is both a matter of uh, a personal preference and tradition with many uh, boards. If you're on the board of a large organization and there's 48 people on the board, as with one of my clients, and there's an executive committee of 12, in fact, the board is really the executive committee. Uh, so there is no prescription, unfortunately, for how big your board should be. Uh, you need a board that's big enough so that if three people are not there or if somebody relocates across the country, you have enough bench strength to keep going while you're building and rebuilding your board. And we see it all the time, Nicole and I. Organizations show up and say, oh, we got down to five board members, and now we're down to four, and we need help now. We have uh, an email question uh, uh, that came in for the two of you. Uh, uh, Ellen from uh, Dallas is asking about the role of non-board members on committees. Uh, I, I firmly believe that on most committees, 
you can use non-board members as uh, as a way of supplementing the work of your board members and as a way of testing out whether somebody might be appropriate to later go on your board. So kind of uh, using the sports analogy, kind of the farm team. There are certain areas where I don't ever believe that you should have outsiders on the board. The audit committee, you know, outside of needing somebody, uh, uh, having somebody who's of counsel to your audit committee, uh, the audit committee and the finance committee should be insiders. You have fiduciary responsibility for the organization. That should be uh, just the inside gang. but everything from fundraising to program expertise, there are people who are willing to help you, but they may not want the legal responsibilities of board service. Want to jump into yeah, that one, Nicole? Well, we have another question. I'm actually going to, oh. um, uh, Nicole, if you want to jump in, because I'm watching the time. We want to get these questions in. Thank you, everybody who's uh, e- e- emailing in questions. Uh, uh, Tom from Salt Lake is uh, sending in a, a question. Um, and, and it seems that, that what, what he's uh, focused on is what committees should there be of the board? This is, this is sort of a continuation of what David had been speaking about earlier um, in terms of size. And I think that there are um, the practicalities of the work that needs to get done and the logistics of how it should get done. There are a handful of committees that should absolutely be standing committees or um, focal areas, even if you don't have critical mass on the board to have full-blown committees, and that would include finance, executive. Now, what does that mean mean to you, full-blown committees? So so is there something in between the full board and a committee? Well, I would say that with with some of the smaller boards that we see, you have board members who serve as chairs of each of those committees, but the committees might consist of just the chairs. Um, They might not, or you have small groups where everybody serves on every committee, Uh, but this could be a scenario where it would be appropriate and beneficial to bring in outsiders who are willing and interested in helping and serving on those committees but are not official members of the board. Um, but the areas that need to, to be standing areas of attention include the finance committee, uh, the executive committee, um, and the nominating committee. The audit committee doesn't have to be a standing committee, but it has to be a, a, a group that gets uh, put together uh, when it's time to uh, take a look at the audit. And it should not be exactly duplicative of the folks who are on the finance committee. Um, but in addition, it depends, to David's point earlier, in terms of the work of the organization. You might want to uh, have a program committee, uh, a fundraising committee. Uh, there might be other areas of need, and that really is, is a case-by-case basis depending on the, uh, the work of the organization. Pat in Chicago is asking, um, should the treasurer serve as chair of the finance most organizations are of a size where uh, I, I don't I don't think there's a should answer to this one, but most organizations uh, of boards that are between eight and twenty people, the treasurer is usually the head of the finance committee. Uh, and, and as, so I, that, I, I would I would answer it the same way, but I, but I'll say that uh, 
uh, we have had discussions uh, here where there seems to be some sort of movement out there that someone, and I'm not sure who it is, is sort of spreading the news that um, that there's something wrong with that, that there needs to be some sort of division. And, and, and I think it's just really hard to staff a, a treasurer and a chair of a finance committee to, to be two different people. Yeah, I, I think it's more important to have the chairman of the audit committee uh, uh, not be doubled up with the treasurer and the finance committee chair. And right. in all honesty, if there's seven of you on the board, most organizations do not have the luxury of having five or six people with the financial skills they need to fill those roles on the board. So you often have that kind of doubling up. Great. Um, I'm going to the question that was asked before um, about what committees you're mentioning, an audit committee, you're mentioning a finance committee. Um, what are they, in your mind, the, the basic um, minimum committees that need to be staffed? Uh, I, I would agree with Nicole. It's, uh, you need a finance or a finance and audit committee that uh, covers uh, those requirements and deals with the annual filing of your 990 tax form uh, with your previous guest guide star, uh, which is a great site. Um, you need a, uh, a nominating board governance, board development committee, uh, we go through these periods where people expand the way they refer to some of these. I'm uh, somewhat agnostic to what you call it as long as it it undertakes the development of new uh, blood for the board and actively assesses the leadership activities of the sitting board members. And uh, I think you need... I don't uh, think you can get by without some manifestation of a program committee. But, again, uh, many organizations, uh, you don't see any of this required in many uh, 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 nonprofit codes of law, and you don't see uh, a lot of this uh, in practice in uh, you know, some organizations get by as a committee of a whole, and they do everything as a whole, and there's 12 people, and they've been doing it that way for years, and it works for them, and they merrily move along. Uh, so there's no uh, bare minimum. I, I would take slight disagreement with Nicole on one thing, and I love to do this because we do it all the time. Uh, I don't necessarily think you need an executive committee. What you really need is, what is the mechanism for making a quick decision in between board meetings? And that may be and, just and what, three what's offices. Your, what's the, yeah, what's, the, what's your advice for our, our listeners in terms of the options that they're... Um, I, and very, very quickly, because I'm watching the time here as well. Okay. Um, I would say that if, if you have an, a chair, a vice chair, a secretary, and a treasurer... Uh, if you need somebody to make a quick decision to back up the executive director, you need a bank account open, you need a uh, uh, papers filed, you need something. It, it's very inappropriate for a board to cede authority to act quickly and efficiently to a smaller group. And ceding that authority and giving that authority to the board member, to the Offices of the board is often a great thing. I don't think a, 
Okay, well, I, I, okay. I'm, I'm going to have to stop you right there, Owen, because it is amazing how fast the time goes. I yep. want to thank uh, Nicole Sebastian and David LaGreca from VCG. Very quickly, take us to uh, the break. How can folks reach you if they want to get in touch with you? Uh, they can get us at VC, uh, www.vcg.org. Uh, and we do have and a link can... over at tedhart.com. In the radio links today, I want to thank you, folks. I hope you'll come back soon. Obviously, you can tell there's a lot of interest in these topics, and these are not topics that we can easily wrap up in just one hour. Uh, Nicole Sebastian, David LaGreca, VCG, thank you for being our guest here today on The Nonprofit Coach. You've been listening to The Nonprofit Coach Radio Show with Ted Hart. Tell all your friends to check out our production schedule and download our iPod and iPad-friendly podcast at tedhart.com. Thanks for listening to The Nonprofit Coach. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.